as I said before, we we are starting a, a brand new series uh, called One, and we're going to be looking at the idea of being a unified community. Now, to I suppose just to begin with, I wanted to for those who are parents, maybe um, maybe your kids were a little a long time ago, but I want you to think if you've ever gone and watched little kids play sport. Um, and, 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 and the different ideas of unity that you can have with that. Because especially, I remember training and, and even probably playing as a, as a little kid and watching little kids play a game of soccer, for example. And you can say in a game of soccer, the team is very unified. It's everyone get the ball. Everyone. And so the ball will be kicked on the other side of the field. And so everyone on the team, except for maybe the goalie, runs after the ball. They don't spread out on the field. They don't, they don't trust anyone else to get the ball. Everyone goes and gets the ball. Both teams are chasing it. And so it's sort of like this like hive mind that's happening all over the field. And they run, and it's no surprise that at the end of the game, everyone's very tired because they've been running over the whole field. But then as you watch children sort of develop a little bit in that game of sport, they start to learn that, hey, we can be unified in a different way because if we understand our position, if we understand where we need to play, if we trust in other people, we can be unified in the, in the, in the goal of scoring more and winning the game. And so again, in a game of soccer, if, if you play your positions and, and, and the other team is chasing the ball everywhere, if your team kicks the, gets the ownership of the ball, you can quickly pass it up the field to your own teammates and score a goal. And so, again, a different idea of unity is sort of shown there and probably a more effective idea of unity is shown. And so today I want to start looking at, um, I suppose, when we talk of unity and we talk about having one mind as a church and, and all sort of being together, I think sometimes we think we are all of us become the same. We become that first example of, of that soccer game where we all just do everything. We all show up to every single event or we all think the same way. We all want the same things. And so if someone comes into our church who wants to see something a little bit different, like, get out of here, we don't need you. That can be the sense that they, they get, or maybe in some churches I've seen it actually happen where we don't want you here and they ask them to leave. And you go, well, isn't, that's not should it be church. Well, it happens in places. But when we look at that second idea that once we, we understand our, our value, our importance to what's going on and the, and the part that we play, all of a sudden the church moves as one, accomplishing the goals of God as we're obedient to him. And, and it, it actually is way more effective because if everyone's running all over the field, everyone's getting tired. And, and the thing is, some of you have already come tired here, okay? Like anyone had coffee just before they got to church? Um, okay, so if I see you falling asleep, you need to change your mix up a little bit. But, but the thing is, we, we don't want us all being weary doing the one thing. We, and again, I, I am, over the past few years, I've been so blessed as a pastor to watch different elements of our church grow, which I have very little to do with. Like, I just take the credit. That's all I do. I go, yep, that was my idea. Well, that was, I gave permission for that to happen, so I kind of get the pat on the back. 
But the thing is, we, we as a church, we have things happening for our children, our youth, our men, our women, our, our, our less than sort of like not quite so young people at the other end. We, we have this idea that we, our ch- everyone in our church deserves to be ministered to and also have the ability to minister. And so today, as we, as we look at this idea, um, and, and look at that passage from Ephesians, we, we wanted to discover like how, I suppose, how our motivation to be unified is what I want to look at today. And part of the problem is that when we, in our culture, the idea of independence is one greatly valued, but it's also like if you are not independent, if you can't stand on your own two feet, if you can't do it by yourself, there's something wrong with you. That's sort of the, the common idea. And so, we again, we want our kids to be independent. Like parents who are taller training kids, they want them to, to get to the point where they can do it themselves. Like I remember the different stages of parenting, like the kids being able to put their own belt on. You, you, don't, you don't understand how much of a relief that is because all of a sudden getting into the car, I've just got to put my own belt on. It's, it's such a great feeling. And then, and then like we look at the stages as kids get older, like, oh, um, kids get, get to the point where they can drive themselves to places. They don't need me to take them. And again, like I'm looking forward to that stage, like scary and sort of like it's a scary thing but also a relief thing going, okay, well, you can drive yourself to work or you can get yourself to that place. I'm not the one that was relied on. But in the same time, when it comes to the church, we need to understand that the church is actually designed, God designed it, God designed us to be in community. Um, And so we weren't created to live in this isolated, independent way. Um, it, it may feel counterintuitive, but the truth is we were created and called to live in community. And I'm going to say it a different way. You were created and called to live in community. You were. Insert your name there. You were called to live in and, and serve in community. In the book of Genesis, God creates man and then it says it's not good for man to be alone and and not just because he might be lonely or need a buddy, because God has wired us to, to do life together. He's created us and called us to do life in community. And the problem is, and again, part of our culture, like other cultures, they understand community way better than we do. Everything's community. And, and like, and, and we probably have some in our church here who understand the, the aspect of that. But in the West, we have this problem of it's about me looking after me. It's, it's about my Christian walk and how well I'm doing. And, 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 and that's, we measure things on an individual basis. And, and the thing is, the problem is when it comes to community, most of us, don't truly want it, and not because we're anti-community. We don't want it because we don't understand it. We don't want it to do it because um, we've been trained to do life independently. We don't want to do it because, okay, this might sound a bit hard. I don't trust the people around me. It's not that they've done anything wrong to me, but maybe I've been hurt in the past, which has prevented me from trusting in the future. Um, we don't want to do it because we don't know what we're missing. 
We don't know what we're missing. And so we define our lives on individual terms. And as a result, most of us are far too focused on being individuals, but individualism can rob us of the joy and strength and hope that we are so desperate for. And the only way to break the habit of doing life alone, the only way to experience life we're truly meant to live, is to learn how to live and are in and amongst community. And that's what this series is all about. Um, for the next few weeks, we're going to explore what it is, to, what it looks like to live life in community, not just a group of different individuals attending once a week. And we, we want to go beyond that. Uh, we said uh, last year that we want to have this idea of impactful relationships and the relationships that we share with each other should be impactful. The way that you live for God should be impacting my faith and the way that I live for God should be impacting yours. The way that we live together should challenge and encourage one another so that we move closer to God. And and so with that, what we need to realise is that this is far more important than for most of us than most of us realise. Not because uh, just because doing life leaves us lacking, but because... We are each wonderfully and uniquely created to be a part of community and through that community to transform our world. We must learn to do life with others even when life with others is difficult. For some of us, like we, we have that phrase there and go, as soon as it becomes difficult, I'm going to pull back. I'm saying even when it gets difficult, you need to commit, you need to dig in, you need to bond together. When we learn to do life as a united community, there is nothing that can stop us. So if we're going to learn to live in community, do life in community, transform the world as community, we need to understand a couple of things about ourselves. And that's what I wanted to explore today. Um, Have you ever thought about, maybe you've even discovered in a bit of reflection, one of the reasons that you struggle to connect with others? And straight away, most of us want to go, oh, it's, it's not us, it's them. But probably sometimes, maybe more than you think, it's, it's the other way. It's, it's not them, it's us. If we have a trust issue, that will, that's our problem that prevents us connecting with one another. Um, if we have this idea of the community of me, as long as people agree with the way that I want to do things and, 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 and don't do things that upset me, I'm happy to be in community with you. But as soon as you, as soon as you have a bad day and make my dad that my day bad, then I don't. That's upset me. That's not good. As soon as you want something that I don't want, as soon as something's happening in our church that's different to the way that we've done it for the last fifty years, the community of me is is what we are. And, and so, well, at times, what churches do, they they get people that are so like minded. That that's all that there's, they're, they're actually stuck. They, they can't grow beyond that because people, those group of people have either grown together or maybe they're sharing a brain cell. As I often say to our youth group boys, you guys are so good at some of these games because you share that one brain cell between all of you. Maybe that's what we're doing as a church. We're sharing our brains and, and that's all we think. We can't think outside of that. And so all of a sudden when it comes to things like evangelism, mission, going, yes, we will evangelise those good people that walk into our church 
and do think exactly the way that we think right from the get-go. I don't see that happening anywhere in the Gospels. When Jesus reached out to the people, they were sinners. They, they were clearly sinners. Like they weren't hiding it in any way. And Jesus went to be with them. And so that means as a church, if we are wanting to grow, it's not that we're going to be approving of sin, but we're going to be welcoming of sinners. And we're going to take time to love them into community. We're going to take time to love them into community with Christ. We're going to take time in that that process to introduce them to Jesus so they can be forgiven, so they can be discipled to walk with him. That's what we want. We don't want just the community of me. And I'm not saying there aren't times that others have left us um, out or rejected us. I'm not saying that we've never been the victim of other hurtful actions. But if we're honest, a significant amount of time when we don't do well in community is because of us. It is because of us. And I think it's, it's because we don't understand who or what we are, nor do we understand who or what others are. And if we're going to learn to live in community, we must learn what we are and what this means for how we live our lives. So, now, no smart answers. What am I? What are you? Okay. Um, and how does this impact my life? So here's the short answer. This You're going to like this. This is going to be very complimentary. You are a masterpiece. Now, you could say, the back, you could say that back to me. Like, I think... Oh, thank you. So I feel I've, I've said that to all of you and, and some of you said it back. But anyway, um, but the Bible says it quite clearly that you are a masterpiece. But then the question is, how does this impact my life? The thing is, when you live like a masterpiece, it transforms the world around you. And that's the point. You are a masterpiece. Act like it. That's the one thing I want you to get today. You are a masterpiece. Act like it. I want to read Ephesians 2.10. Um, now, again, the, the passage that Bert read earlier, like it, it says, the verses before, just put this in context, it says, you, are not, you, don't, you don't earn your own salvation. It's not because of the good works you've done. So, so it's not about what you've done that makes this next verse true. Because some of us get up in the morning going, look in the mirror and going, yes, I am a masterpiece. I'm going to put a little pin in that. That's pride, okay? Um, or your mirror's broken, okay? For some of you, your mirror's broken. But this, is, this next verse is all out of the work that God has done. And so Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So another way of saying it, for we are God's masterpiece. Because anything, if you think of God as a painter, okay, one, he's created the world in six days. It's more than okay. It's pretty awesome when we, even though we as human beings have destroyed a lot of the world, it is still easy to look around the world and going, God, you did pretty well with this. Now, if God was a painter and he was painting a picture of our lives, do you think God would be a good painter? Okay, I'm going to ask if God was a sculptor then, because some of you don't seem to confirm. If God was a sculptor and he was shaping our life as, as a, a, like a, a statue, do you think it would be a pretty good statue? Okay, do you think if he was in control of our lives, 
if he was doing something that was allowing us to be shaped into the image of what he wanted, do you think it would be a pretty good job? It is one of these things, and this is the idea that, that um, Paul is writing here, that we are God's masterpiece. The, work, the word handiwork or workmanship is, is God at work. It's not like you sort of um, throwing something together. This will do till next time. Um, or, or covering up a patch in the wall that was really bad with extra paint or, or something else, or, or sort of bodging something together like in the Australian way. No, this is God at work. We were created by God, we were created for God, and we were created in the image of God. So the question is, how do I act like a masterpiece? Well, here's a few things I want us to look at today. One, we need to live up to our purpose. You are a masterpiece created on purpose for a purpose. This means that you have a job to do. And then you're thinking, but I'm not the pastor. I I just come here to sit down. No, no, no. We, as Christians, as, as part of God's community, we have a purpose. We have a job to do. Because we are God's masterpiece created for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do, then you have a job to do. The verse does not actually say um, the pastor was made um, by God's hands. The pastor is a masterpiece, even though that would sort of be really good for my ego. It doesn't say that. It says you, and that's actually the plural you, you are God's masterpiece. And one of the greatest ways you can honour God, one of the greatest ways you can live up to your purpose is to do the jobs, to be obedient to the things that you were created to do. This is really important. You may, be a, you may be a masterpiece, but you aren't living out your purpose. If you aren't doing a job you are created to do, then you aren't living up to your value, your potential. A vintage car is a masterpiece. You don't use it to haul um, kids to sports with sticky fingers from ice cream afterwards. You, don't, you, don't, you, you get a minivan for that. Or make them walk, like one of those. If you've got a vintage guitar, you don't let your seven-year-old son um, bang on it until and take it to show and tell at school. If you have the original Mona Lisa, you wouldn't use it to cover a hole in the wall in the back on your back bathroom or to paper the bottom of your birdcage, would you? You wouldn't use it for those things. If it's a masterpiece, you use it according to its value. And since you are all masterpieces, you need to live up to your purpose. You need to be used for what you were created to be used for. And that is why the New Testament spends as much time talking about the things Jesus followers shouldn't do. Um, God doesn't just want a list of um, arbitrary rules. He recognises we are all masterpieces. He has made us and he doesn't want us to be devalued. So what's your job? What were you created for? Your job is to represent Jesus. And this means in the way that you treat others, how you have conversations, how you manage your time, even how you take care of yourself is valuing the masterpieces that God has made. You need to live up to your purpose. You need to ask yourself, how am I representing Jesus? Never think what you are doing doesn't matter. When you represent Jesus, wherever you are, you are living a life of infinite value and purpose. 
You are doing your job even if the situation you find yourself in seems incredibly boring and mundane. Anyone had a day like this past week where you thought, what's the purpose of this day? You sort of woke up, filled it with stuff and and, and then it seemed to rinse and repeat the next day? And we can get into that. that. That doesn't become a day. It becomes a week. It becomes a month. It becomes 10 years. And you go, God, what am I doing? Understand that, God, if you are being faithful to God in those situations, you would be surprised by what God does. When we read our Bibles, we see stories of individuals that they live by faith, but what we don't realize is that there are decades at a time that they don't record of their story. Like Abraham, we, we see when he left um, um, Ur, we, we see this part of his story, but then there are, there are big gaps in between, and I'm going, the story may have gone like, Abraham got up every single day and went to work and looked after his flocks and managed his household and, and did this and he trusted in God. That was Monday. And then the next day is exactly the same. Now, there's a reason we don't record that in the Bible because that would become quite tedious reading that. But in the process, Abraham is living faithfully. It, is, it's actually, it was reckoned to him that he was righteous because of the way that he lived. And so even in those boring and mundane moments, our purpose is to live for Christ and to reflect him. So ask yourself, what are you reflecting? The second way that we, we need to act like a masterpiece is that we need to recognize the value of others. This is the thing. If you, singular, are a masterpiece, the people next to you are also a masterpiece. So look around you. You're actually looking at God's created work around you, okay? Don't laugh when you look at other people. It's rude, okay? Don't do that. But, but the thing is we need to recognise the value of others. If I'm a masterpiece and you're a masterpiece, how amazing, once that idea sinks in, how amazing would that be as we set out to serve God? Stop and think about it for just a minute. We love the idea that we are a masterpiece. We love it. Like, again, like if you're feeling down on yourself, great verse to go to. I'm a masterpiece. Look at what God has done. Um, all that kind of stuff. We love how we're made in the image of God. But if it's true for us, then we need to understand that everyone else is also made in the image of God. Doing life in community only works when we realize that we are made in God's image and we we recognise that everyone else is too. And that's why the New Testament is not only full of things that we should avoid to help recognise our value, but it's also full of things that we should do for others. Can anyone think of any of the one another verses that we have in, um, in Scripture? Just love one another. That's the easy one. Encourage one another. Do unto others as they do unto you. Well, it's actually do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So it actually puts responsibility on yourself. Serve one another. Build one another up. Uh, encourage one another. Submit to one another. Whoa, that's a good one. Uh, you can't have a community of me if you're submitting to one another, can you? That's a good one. What about bear? Bear the burdens of one another. Bear, bear, be patient with one another. When those people around us, it doesn't even have to go out of our household to have people around us who go, you know what, they've annoyed us, 
But we get to we as we grow in a community, we we get to the point where they don't do things the way that I want it done. And it says, well, no, we need to be patient for one with one another. We actually need to bear one another's burdens. And so there's a lot of one another that the scriptures actually record. We could do a whole series just on those. But we look at um, Paul actually wrote these words in one of um, uh, one of the Jesus communities in the first uh, century. So in Philippians um, chapter two, verses three and four, it says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit; rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others." Now. You can't have a community of me and include that verse in the Bible. They don't work together. In fact, like you should quiz Sunday school after they finish. Like I told them last week, and last week they had, I don't know if you saw, they had like a, um, a, a, a ribbon with three on it. They had come in third place. And so I went, what does that mean? And they said, oh, Jesus first, other second, yourself third. Most of us would have heard that little joy means Jesus, others, yourself, all those different things. Well, the Bible's making it clear that we need to look and value others, look to their their desires and and, and how we do things. In fact, when we look at different parts of the Bible, it's that when we as mature believers look to the needs of others, we actually let them get their own way because it helps them grow in their faith because we're already mature. We think about it this way, because I've been in the church for so long, because I've got this many years on my Christian scoreboard, I should get my way more often. No, 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 it's probably the opposite is true. The more times we can submit to other people and allow them to sort of thrive and allow them to do something to help them grow, it's going to be something that will enable them to to grow with God. So we do nothing out of selfish ambition. We don't sort of battle for things. We don't try and push our way over something else to get what I want. We do nothing out of vain conceit. Um, selfish ambition and vanity is the status quo for most of our culture. You, you see it. Political um, uh, elections, you basically lift yourself up, push other people down so that you can get the job. So I can get the big bucks and that's what I want to do. Um, we see there's so many other ways. We, we pull p- people down so that we can elevate ourselves. But for those who follow Jesus, Paul says, no, that's not how a masterpiece treats another masterpiece. Instead, we must learn to value others above ourselves. And this is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus lived and impacted humanity. And when we live like this, we reflect Jesus back to the world. In fact, Paul follows this, these verses up with Philippians uh, 2, 5 to 7. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who from being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Now, I'm assuming that all of you would remember the story when, when Jesus goes to wash the disciples' feet and Peter says, no, you can't do that. Imagine that idea that Jesus comes and serves us. Imagine Jesus is out at morning tea making us coffees. 
Imagine Jesus is the one who stays behind and cleans up um, the, the kitchen. Imagine Jesus is the one who jumps on the lawnmower. And, well, the thing is, you think you'd just be able to go, grow shorter. Like, that's how Jesus would do the mowing. Like, um, that, would be, that would be awesome, actually. Have Jesus on as our gardener. Grow, shrink, all that kind of stuff. That would be awesome. But Jesus, he, he said, I, I, I considered myself a servant. Consider myself a servant. Years ago, um, when I was part of the South Queensland district, um, we used to have um, a formal dinner at our at our high school camp, and so we'd invite the pastors up um, to come and serve for the night to be an encouragement to their youth that are attending camp. Some of the pastors were brilliant. They came with a servant heart. They came, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. And it wasn't about them. But I can truly say there were some pastors who went, they did less than probably, like they just didn't do that much. They, they wanted to talk to people. They wanted groups of people to be, they wanted to be recognised. They, they wanted to be sort of in that popular idea. And they forgot what they were there to do was to serve. And because of that, um, there was a number of us camp leaders who were watching it and going, there are tables of kids who don't have drinks, who don't have food. And so there was a, a number, and, and a number of us were pastors who were attending the camp. He said, we're going we're gonna to take that on board for us because we want, we want to serve these kids. We want to see them enjoy the night. We don't want them sort of getting a bit rowdy because they're hungry and sort of like getting a bit uh, hangry, I suppose. And, and so it's important for us, no matter where we fall in, in, in the line of things, just because you're a pastor, just because you're a leader, just because of this, doesn't mean that you don't have that heart of a servant. And in so doing, you see the value of others and you elevate them. The way a masterpiece treats another masterpiece is by making yourself a humble servant like Christ. So the, the question becomes, is not what you can do for me, is what, what can I do for you? What can I do to serve you? What can I do to show Christ's love to you? What can I do to encourage you and lift you up? And do you know the best way to do this is to go back to your purpose, go back to the job that you've been given, which is to reflect Jesus back to your world by serving others. So if you are a parent, you will serve your kids. As a husband to your wife, how are you serving her? Wife to your husband, how are you serving him? At your job, how are you serving your employer? And the thing is, I don't know, I've, I've thought this in the past, but I'm going, my employer doesn't deserve my best because of the way he treats me. The Bible doesn't actually worry about that. The Bible says that we should look to serve. We should look to serve. In our neighbourhoods, how are you serving them? Online, if you're someone who's someone who's fanatically online and doing different things, how are you serving in that sphere? You were created by God and you are a masterpiece and everyone you come in contact with was created by God as well, which again changes the way that we look at things like evangelism. It changes the way that we look at those people that are doing horrible things in the world. Do you know what? They are God's masterpieces too. And they need, they need the message of Christ to, to impact their life. 
So if we're going to be one, if we're going to get community right, then we have to recognize that we are all God's masterpiece and we all need to act like it. So what's the takeaway? What do I do with all that's being said today? I want to give you three steps that you can sort of use as a takeaway today. First of all, pray God will help you realize that you are a masterpiece. Because even though I've been saying that, for some of you, you may think that I am not good enough to really play a part in this church. I, I'm undeserving. And, and again, do you know what? It's not that you're incorrect it, because the thing is you are not a masterpiece because of what you have done. You are a masterpiece because of what God has done. And God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't sort of mess up. He's, he's like he doesn't colour by number and get he's colourblind. He doesn't get the colours right. He doesn't do that. God has made you a masterpiece. And so pray that God will help you realise that. Ask him to reveal it to you. Ask him to show you your value in his eyes. Ask him to help you see yourself the way he sees you. Step two, as you pray for God to reveal your value, ask him to help you see others the same way. Um, Ask him to show you how you can serve those other masterpieces you come in contact with every day. And just a real quick sidebar, it is really, I would say it's almost impossible to see the value of others understand, until you understand the value of yourself. Because it's like, it's not, we don't serve others because we think they're better than us. We serve others because God has created us with value and when God has created them with value and we choose to elevate them. We choose to elevate them. And that's step three, start serving. Don't wait for the perfect time. Don't wait until you feel like serve. Be humble enough to serve those around you. If we're going to find unity and be one, it's important for us to recognize ourselves and others as the masterpieces that God has created. And if we're going to be a community that is one, this is where we need to start. It's not talk about like, oh, all the other things that we'll talk in coming weeks. If we don't get this sort of foundation right, all of a sudden you become a, a, a community that does something like from a dictator's point of view. The pastor said this, we must all do this. No, no, no. We move as one because we are valued ourselves and we value others around us. Let's just take some time to pray. Lord, today as we end this time together, I, I pray that we would understand the value that each one of us has. The value is not based in in our physical appearance or the things that we have or the job that we work or the things that we have done in our life. We don't, it's not based in our popularity. It's not based in, in all the other things that God is wanting to do in our lives. It is based in the work of Jesus Christ that happened on the cross. And each one of us here hold that value in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us understand that for ourselves first and foremost. But I pray that as we look around our church, I pray that as we move forward as a church, that we would understand the value that everyone around us holds because of what you've done. And pray that that would be a guide to us as we serve you and serve one another. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. 